before we dismiss the kids and get into the scripture uh, today, and that is um, for the, uh, the nation of Haiti. We do have missionaries that we support there uh, that most of you know, Michelle and Louise Charbonneau, who are there, and they're okay uh, because the quake did not strike uh, directly where they're located in um, Port-au-Prince. But I just wanted to read a little bit uh, to you from uh, Erdo, Emergency Relief and Development Overseas, which is the humanitarian arm of our movement, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and a fantastic charity. Uh, themselves. So uh, this was August the 14th, the magnitude of the earthquake was 7.2 and uh, 150 kilometers southwest of Port-au-Prince. So it's much worse, the devastation is much worse than initially uh, stated and we're starting to see all these things uh, on the media and so on and there's hundreds of deaths as a result. It's not a small amount, it's a very large and severe situation. They're reporting upwards of 2,000 deaths now more than 12,000 injured, and these are expected to rise. I have seen photos on uh, Michelle and Louise Charbonneau's Facebook page, and they are staggering. Uh, the devastation there and the death that's there and the injury that's there, it's, you just, it's, there's no words to try and explain it. Uh, what's going on in that country is bad enough as it is, and then to get hit with this earthquake. So Erdo is uh, going to be helping out there on the ground and uh, right now, they're talking about urgent needs of water and medical supplies and shelter. You can't drink the water there anyway uh, in Haiti, but to have an earthquake to deal with and to try and get water to these people who are suffering is very difficult. Um, I would suggest if, you're, if you do have Facebook to take a look at Haiti Ministries. Uh, that's their page, and they will, um, they're updating it regularly and showing different things, our missionaries there. But Erdo will be on the ground there, and so we can give as a local church here in Canada uh, to support the work over there. It's very practical. So what you can do today um, is when you give, uh, we will we'll designate something to Erdo Haiti by whatever you put on an envelope, or if you're giving electronically uh, online, some of you do that online from here, some of you at home are doing that, just put a note somewhere to write Erdo or earthquake or something to distinguish it from our regular missions giving to Haiti, okay? And we will send that off to uh, Erdo immediately, and we'll keep this going for a few weeks because I think the devastation is much worse than what people had uh, had anticipated or had thought uh, when it happened. I have been to, uh, to Haiti, to Port-au-Prince, and uh, wow, an earthquake of that nature, not as bad as what they experienced in 2010, but still very, very severe. Okay, so we are going to give to that. Uh, why don't we pray, and uh, at the same time, the kids can get ready to leave and follow Jenny Samuel, who will take you over to number 11. And we do, if you want to give in person, uh, are you ready, Elaine, with the basket? Put your hand up there. Okay, if you want to give something in person, you can just visit with Elaine right there. The crowd is small enough that you just go right to her and drop it in her basket right there. We'll have a volunteer at the desk here at the end uh, if you want to give with uh, electronics, uh, plastic, and so on. Okay, so Father, we, we pray for uh, not only Haiti, but again, God, as we look at what's going on in Afghanistan and oh, our hearts are are heavy as we look at this. We live in this place in the world that's that's... We don't see these things happen to us, God, and we see the devastation. There are people in this room, I'm sure, who have relatives 
uh, who are in Haiti, maybe some who are watching or some in this room who have relatives, family, friends in Afghanistan, can't reach out to them, can't contact them, don't know what's happening. Uh, but God, we, we come to you, the God of power and might, the God of salvation, the God of provision. And we ask God for your work to be done in these places somehow. We don't even know how to pray. But God, we just bring the whole thing to you and ask for your power to intervene. We pray that you would use what we give uh, to, to Haiti to help the situation. But God, we need your power and your work in these places. Uh, we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you kids as you're dismissed today. And remember parents as you dismiss them, remember to pick them up at the end, okay? Uh, so they'll be over in uh, number 11, all right? I'm going to switch to our message uh, today right away, which is from Psalm 42. We're in a series called Cries from the Heart, and that's what the Psalms are. They are these expressions of tremendous emotion. Uh, from different writers, sometimes from writers that we don't know, sometimes from writers that we do know. And we relate to these psalms because these are humans who are expressing themselves. It's like listening to a piece of music. It's like listening to a song today, and you relate to it. a bit of ringing still in the monitors here or in the house. You might want to lower my, um, my fader. Uh, you're hearing feedback a little in the audience? No? Okay, you're good. So Psalm 42 is what we're going to be on today. And uh, this is a little bit different uh, than what we've been looking at because most of the Psalms we've been looking at are from David. And we know a lot about David. And uh, even people who don't go to church know about David. They just have to say David and they say Goliath. Or you know, they might say Bathsheba, maybe they might say that. But today's psalm that we're going to look at is written by a different group of folks. And these are called, this group of people who wrote this, we're not sure how many. It's called, they're called the Sons of Korah. And we, we know about David, but we, most of us know nothing about the Sons of Korah. And when we do have something in the Bible where we have a sense of who it is who wrote the, the psalm in question, well, we can pursue that and we can say, all right, do we know anything about this writer? Do we know anything about his, uh, uh, his experience or their experience that would give us some insight into understanding what they're writing about here? And in Psalm 42, indeed, we have that. But again, a lot of people don't know about the sons of Korah. And here we're told this is a mass skill of the sons of Korah. Again, that's some kind of musical term. Most of these psalms were set to music. And, uh, but we want to take a few moments to, before we even get into Psalm 42, which is a really, really simple theme, it's going to be quite helpful for you to figure out, okay, who are these guys? And what do we know about them? So I want to take you on a little journey to discover who the sons of Korah were. And in order to do that, you've got to zap back in time a little bit to a rather boring book in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. 
And the book of Numbers got a lot of numbers in it. And that's why it's called, that's why we call it Numbers. But it is the, it is the Israelites numbering their armies and numbering their clans and reminding themselves of who they are as they are making their way into the promised land. And we have to go way back there, the journey out of Egypt into the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, you know, Charlton Heston leading the people through the, the, the sea and you have to put yourself back in that frame of mind and go way 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 back you know like 4,000 years ago and think of what it was like in order to figure out who these people were the sons of Korah and uh, when we do this we get to Numbers chapter 3 and in Numbers chapter 3 we have this list of these people and what their jobs were and we see in uh, Numbers chapter 3 there's a there's a tribe of Jews the Levites and the Levites had a particular responsibility that the rest of the tribes didn't have are you with me so far so no oh boy that's weak you with me so far so we're trying to figure out who are the sons of Korah. We go back and we say, okay, we, let's start with these Levites, okay? And these Levites, uh, Numbers chapter 3, verse 5, they are consecrated to help Aaron and Moses with their priestly duties. These Levites had a particular uh, responsibility that was specific to them, though, in that they dealt with the articles of the uh, tabernacle the portable uh, place of worship in that time. I mean, we think we have a difficult time setting up a portable church in a movie theater when you've got a million people walking through the desert and this whole worship system with an Ark of the Covenant and this enormous tabernacle that was set up and moved and set up and moved and the presence and the power of God being manifest at that time visibly, audibly. It was very, very serious business. And so these Levites had this particular care. We see in Numbers chapter 3, they are to perform the duties uh, for the priests. They work for the priests. They handle the tabernacle and the tent of meeting and so on. And they're to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and handle all of that stuff and move it around and really work for the priests. That was their job, uh, these Levites. And we see uh, uh, a breakdown of who they are to a, to a degree here. And we have the sons of the Levites being listed in Numbers chapter 3, verse 17. And you have the sons of Levi named there and some strange names to us. You've got Gershon, you've got Kohath, and you've got Merari. Say that with me, Gershon. Kohath and Merari. All right, I hope I'm probably not pronouncing them right, but you know, it sounds good to us, right? And so we, we get into some detail as to who they are. And the, the Kohathites, uh, if we'll use, we'll, we'll call them that, these are the people where, where who we draw the sons of Korah from. So you see in verse 27 of Numbers chapter 3, uh, the Kohathites are listed. And they're responsible for the care of the ark, uh, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, all of these things. They had this specific role, and these are the Kohathites. Why am I zeroing in on the Kohathites? Well, because the Kohathites are where we draw our line of Korah from. 
so uh, we move to Numbers chapter 4, and we see a little bit more detail uh, about the Korathites. And they, had, uh, they were the one little sub-tribe, if you will, that had this particular responsibility of actually picking up you know, the Ark of the Covenant. The other tribes, they handled things in different ways. They could put them on carts and so on. But when you're picking up the Ark of the Covenant, when you're picking up the, the stuff that's used in the most holy place and in the Holy of Holies, as it was called, they had to put it on their shoulders. It had to be wrapped in a very specific way. And you see all of this listed in Numbers chapter 4. I don't want to bore you with the details. But these particular people, the, the, uh, Kor, the Kohathites, I'm sorry, they had to do that. And it was very specific. And they, they were picking the stuff up on their shoulders. Nothing else could touch it except them. And they were working for the priests. You with me so far? Okay, so you've learned about the Levites, you've learned about the, the, uh, one of the sons of Levi, Kohath, and you've learned what the Kohathites have had to do just in a kind of a general way. So then you don't hear much of these people until you get to Numbers chapter 16. And then we start to learn about who are writers of the Psalms here, Psalm 42 that we're looking at. Who do we mean when we talk about the sons of Korah? So Numbers chapter 16, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath. So Korah was the grandson of Kohath. And the Kohathites had to, you know, pick up the the article, that very sacred article on their shoulders of the, the tabernacle. So we see Korah is listed here. He's the son of Levi and uh, he's the son of Izhar. So he's a, uh, uh, ultimately a grandson of Kohath. And so we've got him listed and we've got two other folks, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab. Numbers uh, chapter 16, verse 1. And on the son of Peleth, they became insolent and rose up against Moses. So there is a coup of sorts that starts to build here, and it's detailed for us. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. So people who are in leadership here, and you've got 250 of them, and they have organized, they have met, uh, probably secretly, put themselves together, and they are going to rise up and challenge Moses and challenge Aaron's authority. And uh, they, they come as a group, we're told, to oppose Moses and Aaron, and they say to them, uh, uh, amazing words, words I think that I've heard before and probably every pastor at one point or another has heard before and probably every leader who's led anything for a long period of time has probably heard before, you have gone too far. So you've got, you've got uh, Korah there and this group and they're all together, and they say to Moses, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? 
We don't like the way you're leading. You set yourself above everybody else. You think all of your decisions are right ones. But you know what? Everybody else can decide too because we're all holy. We're all part of this thing together. What makes you so special? And they're challenging the leadership of Moses and Aaron directly. When Moses and Aaron were appointed by God to do their work, these people don't care and they're fed up and presumably, you know, uh, Korah and these other folks are fed up of their jobs and so on. And they really want to usurp Moses and Aaron's leadership and topple them. What you have here is a mutiny, a coup that's taking place right in front of our eyes here. Again, this is 4,000 years ago. Out there as they're journeying in the wilderness, trying to get to the promised land, and you have this coup that takes place. Uh, verse 4, number 16. Then Moses heard this. He fell face down, and he said to Korah and all of his followers, In the morning the Lord will show, you, will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near to him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, C-E-N-S-E-R-S, -E -E like a sort of a bowl that they put things in to worship and to burn incense and so on. And tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. So Moses is saying, we're going to have a showdown here, and we're going to see who God has chosen to be the leader and whose authority God has put in place. Uh, it's not me who's gone too far. It's you who've gone too far, because what you're doing is you're not challenging me. You're challenging God Almighty and his authority. So this is about to get serious. And so Moses also says to Korah, now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you uh, uh, that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community? Remember, the, the, the Korah and his, uh, his group there, they had a kind of a special thing. They're handling the specific articles of the tabernacle, the ultra-holy articles, if you will. And isn't it enough? You know, the, you're separate from the rest of the Israelite community who brought you near to himself. So you do the work at the Lord's tabernacle. And you stand before the community and minister to them. That's not enough for you. He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. So Moses and Aaron, they have that job. But now you Levites and you, uh, you people who follow Korah and you 250 people and so on, you want the priesthood too. And God has not given that to you. It, it is against the Lord that you and your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? So he's saying to them, you folks are setting yourself up against the Almighty here. This is serious business. And Moses summons the other guys, Dathan and, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come. We're, we're going to refuse you and your requests for a showdown here. We will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of the land, uh, out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? Uh, so, you know, for them, it's like, well, they left Egypt to go to the place, the land of milk and honey, but they're saying, no, the, Egypt was better. You brought us out here to kill us in the desert, and moreover, you want to lord it over us? 
and you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards, we will, uh, will you uh, gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. We're disobeying your order, Mr. Moses, Mr. Aaron. This is, a, this is a showdown. This is a mutiny. This is a, it's about to get really, really serious here. And then it says, verse 15, Moses became very angry. I have a great deal of empathy for Moses. As I read Moses and how Moses had to lead these people, upwards of a million people complained, rebelled, complained, rebelled, and when it says here, Moses got angry, if I were Moses, I mean, <laughs> I would be a very bad Moses. Most of you would be a, a very bad Moses as well. Moses was angry, and he said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. So they're going to burn the, the incense tomorrow, and we'll see who, who you choose. Presumably something supernatural would happen. And Moses is saying, do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them. So I have my integrity intact, he's saying, and I have not wronged any of them. So God, you better not, you better not choose them. You better not accept them because I've done my job. I've been faithful to you and I've led with integrity and he's, he's angry. And Moses said to Korah again, you and all your followers appear here before the Lord tomorrow uh, before uh, uh, us and myself and Aaron. And each man is to take the insert, the uh, uh, censer and put incense in it, 250, 250 people, all of you, bring your censers and let's do it, let's get it on and let's see who God picks. And so they do. Each man took his censer, put fire and incense in it, stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered and his followers in opposition to them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, they're right in the front of the thing and they're going to have a showdown right there to see who God says is boss and who God says is the leader. And he's going to put an end to this coup, to this mutiny right in front of everybody at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. Maybe it was smoke, maybe it was fire. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Serious, serious business. You say, that's not fair. You know what? Go back in time. Go back to that time, that place, that culture, that situation. God is behaving, in my view, in a very just, in a very fair fashion. This is authority that he has set up. He has made it very clear that he has done so, and now that authority is being challenged in front of hundreds of thousands of people, and God is going to do something very severe to uh, clean it up, in a sense. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O oh God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly uh, when only one man sins? So they're trying to say, back off, hold off your wrath, whatever you're about to do. It's a small group of people, relatively speaking, compared to the whole assembly. What are you going to do? And, and they're worried, Moses and Aaron, about the wrath of God to come. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, 
and Abiram. Get away from their tents. I'm about to do something. Separate yourselves. In a sense, protect yourselves. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him, and he warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances to their tents. And then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death, this is a life and death showdown that's happening here and experience only what usually happens to men and the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth, a picture, a giant sinkhole, I suppose, and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, the place of the dead. Then you will know that these men have treated the Lord, Jehovah, with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave. Terrifying scene. With everything they owned, the earth closed over them and they perished and they were gone from the community. It is a terrifying moment of purging and wrath that we see here. Very disturbing, but these people went up against the face of God, and it was a terrible decision. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too, but it did not. It only consumed the 250, and you see fire comes out, consumes the, the, the men, and they're, they're completely lost. But they're, they're taken out by the power of God. Very disturbing uh, and powerful story. You say, oh boy, what's this got to do with the sons of Korah? Well, when we, when we read this story, we think it's over. And we think there's no more Korah uh, because he participated in this rebellion. And again, Korah was the grandson of Kohath. And he was part of this rebellion that ended up costing him his life. But we see a strange thing take place Later on in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 26. And this is the last passage to give us the background as to who these sons of Korah were. And we see us another census that takes place here in the book of Numbers. Again, the numbers people like to be counted here. And we're told in verse 8, the son of Palu was Eliab, and the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, Abiram. Oh, we've heard those people before. They participated in that rebellion. And we're told the same Dathan and Abiram were the community officials who rebelled against Moses and Aaron and were among Korah's followers when they rebelled against the Lord. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with Korah, whose followers died when the fire devoured the 250 men. 
and they served as a warning sign. The line of Korah, verse 11, Numbers 26, however, did not die out. Somebody, there were, there were children left, grandchildren, who knows? Maybe they were too young to participate in the whole thing. Maybe they were someone else when the wrath of God came. But the line did not die out. There's apparently some sons, grandsons, who knows what, but they have a relation to Korah, even though he participated in this rebellion. I love the passage. The line did not die out. God had a plan and a purpose for these people, and he seems to have left a remnant of them in order to accomplish his plan and his purpose. So you still have some sons of Korah. And when you look at them and you research them in the scripture and the things uh, that they did, you see some pretty astounding things. You see that they wrote at least 11 of the Psalms that we have. You see that Samuel, the prophet, comes from the line of Korah. We see that we have some sons of Korah help King David in various uh, military campaigns. We see them involved in music. And of course, we see them write these psalms. So God continued to use these people, uh, a remnant of them, as it were, enter into Psalm 42 with all of that background and this psalm is very very basic it really only has one theme and it's actually in some uh, manuscripts psalm 42 and psalm 43 are one psalm and if you read psalm 43 it seems pretty obvious because it's quite repetitive but it really only has one theme and there's really only one lesson to learn from this psalm that is the desire and the decision to worship God. If you were maybe a little child and you were outside the area of the tabernacle that day playing with your brothers or something, we have to try and, and speculate as to how these sons of Korah survived some way. So maybe it was like that. And you watched that scene happen and you watched Korah and his, his group defeated by the power of God. How would you feel? Maybe you'd feel angry. Maybe you'd feel like that's not fair, what God did to my father, grandfather, uncle, whatever the relationship may have been. Maybe you'd say that, that God is not worth serving, that God is not worth worshiping. Maybe it would cast a really negative tone on your perception of God. Interesting, not the case with this particular group. Rather, we see them make a decision to worship God, and they have a hunger to worship God and a thirst for the very presence of God. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God, my soul thirsts. For God, for the living God, when can I go and meet with him? Wow, very different uh, take on God and on life than Korah. They seem to make a definite 
uh, line in the sand. And they said, we're, go, we're going to worship God. And we are thirsty and hungry to be with God as the deer pants for the water. Now, this term, if you dig around in the Psalms and you do a little, a little bit of background study, um, out there in, in that part of the world, especially in the Judean uh, desert of the En Gedi and way up north uh, from Mount Hermon, you get an idea what this, this, this group is writing about. And this image is right from there. So this is the En Gedi Desert, dry, desolate, and right in the middle of it, you have this fresh uh, waterfall, uh, right in the middle of it. It just literally seems to pro protrude out of this rock and flow, and that's fresh water. In the Old Testament, they called that living water. They would use that water in, in uh, ceremonial worship and so on. It was considered uh, like a symbol for the presence of God. And he says, as the deer pants for the water, maybe uh, David, when he was running from Saul, maybe he refreshed himself uh, with that water. And you can go and you can visit there and you can see it. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff on the internet that you can see. You can see drones go in there and you can watch the water flow and you see this beautiful waterfall in the uh, En Gedi Desert, right in the middle of this dry, barren kind of nothing there. And these deer, these ibex as they're called, they go and they drink there, right out in the desert. And they know where to go as the deer pants for that fresh living water. So my soul longs after you. There's an old chorus that we used to sing, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. They had this desire to worship God. Their soul was dry without being in the presence of God. You say, well, the presence of God is everywhere. Why do they say, where can I go to meet with God? For them, they had to be in communion and deep fellowship with God all the time. They didn't want their soul to dry out. When your soul is dry, you know, you feel so, so far from God. Maybe you know he's kind of there, but you're just dry. And they're saying it's like that deer who's thirsting for that water in the En Gedi Desert. It's this powerful image in the Psalms. And you keep reading here, and th this group talks about pain and difficult moments in life. My tears have been my food day and night. Wow, that's a deep, deep sadness. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember. You see this decision. As I pour out my soul, I reflect. I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God. This worship he's talking about. Going to the tabernacle and worshiping God. Uh, Korah and his followers rebelled against God. But these sons of Korah, they say, I used to go, I remember, even though I'm in this painful moment where I'm crying so much, I remind myself, these things I remember, I used to lead the multitude, the 
procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Being, they're being very purposeful and reminding themselves of the moments that will encourage them and revive them. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? It's like talking to yourself. It's like they're, they're pushing themselves, talking to their own soul. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. Even though I'm drinking my tears, I will praise him anyway. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. This is probably the area referred to there. This is up north uh, from Mount Hermon. You have this water that flows down all year long, and it's staggeringly beautiful waterfalls. There are about 10 of them that you can visit. Again, just Google around, YouTube around, and you can actually see videos of this particular waterfall and the water flowing down. It's just absolutely beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous scene. That's the Benias waterfall uh, right near the area, walking distance from the area called Caesarea Philippi in the Gospels and in the New Testament where Jesus went with the, the disciples. And over there, there would have been uh, all this uh, pagan worship uh, that was set up at that time. And Jesus would go over there and Jesus would say, who do you say I am? And he would say, uh, there would be a confession from Peter, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus would say, I will build my church and the very gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's right in that area. Uh, I've done a, a message on this where you, there was this huge cave there that was literally called the gates of Hades. And back in Jesus' time, the water would flow in that cave and the people thought that they could bring up uh, all this occult worship and so on from this deep, deep cave. Well, there's this water that flows there all the time. And this is what's being referred to in this psalm here, the heights of Mount Hermon from Mount Mizar. It's right there at Caesarea Philippi. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. That water there is extremely powerful. That's the most uh, powerful uh, waterfall there in that part of the land. And uh, again, you can watch footage of it. It's so loud. Uh, my family and I, we spent just the last week over in Niagara Falls in Ontario. How many of you have been there? Man, that's some powerful water. And probably the, the best part of the, of the little trip that we took, they have a little um, uh, attraction where you can go behind what they call the Horseshoe Falls. And you go down this deep, deep, deep tunnel and you can, they cut a hole in it and you can look through the hole and you see the water just gushing down with such power. And then you go and you stand out on a deck and you're right next to the edge of the Horseshoe Falls and the water is so powerful you can't even hear yourself talk and people just stand there and just let the water just all over it's so fresh it's so refreshing I tried to take pictures of it and all my lenses fogged up you know and I got glasses and a mask on so I'm walking around I can't see anything but the power of the water and the fresh 
flow of the water. This is the image that the psalmist is trying to use here. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Amazing. These people who traced their, their lineage from a rebel, from a guy who participated in a mutiny. Amazing. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? You see this battle that's happening within them. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And the psalm ends. Maybe it continues into Psalm 43, which you can read for yourself. It's really the same thing. So this decision, I remember, I've talked to my soul. I, I tell my soul to put my hope in God, and I will yet praise him. What is your problem today? What is the thing that causes you to drink those tears what is the painful moment that keeps visiting you and keeps draining the life out of you as if there's voices in your head saying, where is your God now? Look at your life. Look at the problems in your life. Where is your God? Um, is your soul dry today? Do you long for the living water of God to refresh you? If that's the case, this is a beautiful psalm for you, written by people who trace their lineage from a man who participated in, a, in a, a terrible, terrible decision against the very face of God. And yet they choose through their difficulty in life to worship him. I invite Sean and Viano, if they're both in the room with these gentlemen, would come to the to the platform and just begin to play softly. I just want to have a word of prayer with you uh, before we finish up today. It's such a simple message uh, from this psalm, but it's, it's such a powerful one. You know, I wonder today if, we're, if our minds are so far off of God that we barely even think about him during the day. We've got ourselves so focused on so many other things. It's not that those things are bad things. But God wants us to focus on him first. Before all of those things, he wants us to desire to be with him like that deer who would search and search and search for that water and drink that fresh living water like these people who wrote this psalm and they say, I just want your presence, the roar of your waterfalls, the waves and the breakers sweeping over me, your presence in my life. With your presence, I can face the difficulty. I can deal with the heat. I can face the difficult situation. I can even walk into the, the jaws of death itself 
with your presence. These men knew that. These men, maybe they learned that by watching and understanding their history. So what is it today in your life that's holding you back from jumping into the presence of God? From wanting to spend time with Him. From wanting to pray. From wanting just to have communion with Him. What's causing you to drink those tears? I'd like to take a moment and pray with you that you would just hand those things over to God. He can handle all of them. So, Father, we, we bring ourselves to you. There are people who are in this room today, people who are watching online, people who are going to watch, who are going to listen to audio. And, God, you have your, your finger on their lives. You've got, you've got their pulse. And you know... Uh, what's keeping them from entering into your presence. Uh, you know that thing or that series of events that has crushed them and brought them to a place of pain and a place of suffering, a place of discouragement. God, I pray that uh, through this model that we see in your word, we, we say to ourselves, I will worship you God I will call out to you my rock I will praise you even through the pain I will hold your hand even through the storm no matter how difficult it is no matter how painful it is God where else can we turn but to you so help us we pray help us Lord to thirst after you and to experience you in a deeper way than we have before we pray in jesus name amen amen well god bless you today i hope that's uh, been a help to you this message and i'd encourage you to read that psalm a few times this week and and uh and picture it and and make it a practical part of your life uh, this Wednesday night, we will finish up our study on living with God, uh, walking with God in the desert on Zoom. If you want to participate with us, just come and see me and I will give you the link. We have the giving table open and a volunteer will be down there to handle any donations you want to our church and also to the crisis uh, that's happening in Haiti. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday. Stay cool out there. Kids, you going back to school? Tomorrow, next week, well, it's September 1st. Enjoy your last few days of summer, okay? God bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful Sunday.